It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Sunday Civics Live. Of course, we're back because it's September and my August recess sadly is coming to a close and I did not travel anywhere. I did a staycation, did some stuff in the house. I'm going to talk to my thoroughest girl who's going to join me about that. Welcome to the front of the class. My thoroughest girl, June like the month, Moses like the Bible. Hey, June. Hey, teacher. I would have bought like an apple, but they're not in season yet. <laughs> no, it is not apple season yet. <laughs> but we are back. Sunday Civics is back. We had a great August. We're revisiting some of the great conversations and lessons that hopefully lots of folks have applied listening to Sunday Civics. I did see some of the social media traffic where people were saying that, that they had either forgot about that episode or hadn't heard that episode because they've been listening later. So it's great to take that like August break that we do to kind of revisit some of our great conversations and lessons. But, you know, Labor Day is tomorrow. And we got to get back in the work groove now, June. Um, I don't know what manager I could speak to about this. So I guess that's what we're doing. <laughs> you know, but, you know, Labor Day won't be a break for me because Brooklyn NAACP is celebrating our centennial over the next couple of months. And we're kicking it off this weekend. We started yesterday at Bedsty Restoration. Some of you may have seen that in the news recently because the vice president came and talked about economic development and job development. And she was at Bedford Stuyvesant Restoration that was created by a combination of community folks who had a plan and a desire for what should be built and the kind of programs and services that were needed in their community in Bedford-Stuyvesant. And, you know, because sometimes people do like the revisionist history of like, Kennedy created this, like he dreamt it up himself and like decided <laughs> Bedford-Stuyvesant when he was just like spinning the globe or spinning, <laughs> spinning a map <laughs> and was just like, I'm going to pick... <laughs> like Bedford Stuyvesant. No, <laughs> it was a groundswell from Bedford Stuyvesant where the community had been devastated economically and socially, and they had come together with what they had a desire and a plan for for their community. A great book to read that story is Battle for Bedsty where it actually chronicles and June, as usual, there are a lot of women, a lot of black women in that conversation about, you know, the leadership in the community. And then another, you know, just some great stalwarts, some who later I would have the pleasure of being mentored by and learn from. And so pick up Battle for Bed-Stuy and you can get a detailed history of how a community came together and created Bedford-Stuyvesant Restoration Corporation, which is where the vice president gave her remarks from 
in order to get that done. So we were there on Saturday to kick off our centennial because we are marching in the West Indian Day American Carnival Parade, right, which is like the right. Labor Day Parade in Brooklyn. So all of the all the Caribbean people listening and participating tomorrow, Brooklyn NAACP will have a float in the parade. We'll be marching with 100 people down the parkway and we're going to have a lot of fun. So that's great. And so we've been spending lots of time getting ready for that. And I'm excited about the centennial overall, because in addition to, you know, your standard celebration, so we'll, you know, we're doing the parade, we're going to have a dinner in October 6th. So if y'all want to come and join us with NAACP leadership and stuff, feel free to do so. But I also wanted to have ongoing programming and support for the community in our centennial celebration. So we're doing, which is a CLE for lawyers and trying to recruit more voting rights lawyers, particularly voting rights lawyers of color here in New York City. So we're going to have a training and a luncheon focused on that to try to recruit lawyers to add voting rights and election day support to what they do, which is extremely important. I know that everybody loves to herald, you know, oh, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and NAACP and all that kind of stuff. But you know, we need lawyers <laughs> like to help do that work. Every time I'm trying to, June knows this, every time I'm trying to sue somebody on behalf of the community or people, whatever, I got to struggle to find a lawyer to, mm-hmm. or a law firm to actually take on the case for us. And so being able to train lawyers on voting rights, as well as just social justice cases, not just suing the police. Sometimes we got to sue other companies and institutions and things like that. So that's why we need more legal support. So we'll be doing that, basically training people for that and beginning the process of training lawyers on redistricting, because that'll come back in a nine, nine years. So like we, you know, we, we need people to be prepared for that because it was a struggle in terms of finding people to help on that. So, you know, I'm trying to be prepared <laughs> for for the future. The word struggle down is doing some heavy lifting. The word struggle <laughs> is doing heavy lifting in that sentence because it was more than a struggle, sis. It was hard. It so the other horrible. thing, it was really hard. It was really hard. The other <laughs> thing, this part of our centennial planning is also preparing, you know, there's this huge gap in terms of economic opportunity. Everything is focused on getting people a house, home ownership, getting them to own a house and about employment and things like that. But, you know, I notice because I'm in my community and I notice there are all these people that are saying, we can't hire nobody. We can't find nobody hire and blah, blah, blah. And then there are people who are unemployed or underemployed. And I'm like, so that job that's available, that could easily put somebody in, you know, working class or middle class in an instant and like completely change it. So I'm like, there's a disconnect between what's available and what Mm -hmm. people know is available Mm -hmm. and being, and people being able to apply case in point, 
I'm not sure if you all have seen news about different municipalities, different cities where they can't find workers. I'm using air quotes, right? Because of the pandemic, a number of people who were eligible to retire, retired from the city, from the state even. And so it's left this gap of municipal employees. Well, I know for a certain that a number of black and brown folks entered middle class because they got a job for the city or they got a job out, you know, for a, at a state agency. That job not only provided reliable income, June, but then benefits. And then, <laughs> right? And then now you don't have to stitch together three different jobs or two different jobs and a job on the side and doing hair on the side and doing all this other kind of stuff. You can have one job where you can go nine to five or 11, like what, uh, 11 to two or whatever the job is for on the municipal or the state level. And now you have benefits. Now you have other things that allow you to do other things. An example of that is right now in New York, New York state, the DMV is hiring. And I know mm-hmm. we got all the jokes for the DMV, but that's a that's a reliable job with benefits and it and is unionized. Yep. And with real ID coming on board, it's gonna be busy. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, so what are we do? What are, what is the city doing, Eric Adams? What is the state doing, Governor okay. Hochul? Right. In terms of making sure those areas where we know there is underemployment or people are at the poverty line or things like that to make sure that they know that those jobs are available and getting them Mm -hmm. in those jobs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they're doing the old method of just like, we posted it. I'm like, what, what does that do? We posted it. For two years, (laughs) people were at home. Where is the job preparedness? That's why we do job preparedness. We don't do job fairs because people still don't know. It's like we have marijuana laws. There's still the situation over whether or not you get a vaccine. There are so many other things that come into play before you get to I'm ready to upload my resume. And I'm glad that for y'all celebration for 100 years, now that y'all are doing this, you're thinking about, we always talk about the core problems. Okay, so we're jobs. And there are people who don't have jobs, but y'all are helping to marry those two together. And that's the conversation we're not having. Since we uh, always want to talk about the conversation, L Joy's having a conversation. Listen, I need some people. If you really about recruiting people for these like open municipal jobs, these open state jobs, I'm going to need you to have some people out on the street handing out flyers to the brothers and sisters who's hanging outside and playing cards like outside. Cause they weren't cause- on the street to get people to vote. So I hope that you have a big stick because you're going to have to push these people in the street. Push. Them- I mean, because look at the look at the trajectory. Right. Let's say you have a parent, mm-hmm. you know, two kids. Mm-hmm. You're working, you know, two jobs or a mm-hmm. job where you're getting like minimum wage or something like that. Mm-hmm. Put that parent with those two kids working at the DMV. Steady job. Now you have benefits. Right? That like now I can like it opens up my free time, right? In order to be with my family, my kids and so to do everything whatever like that. It opens up the possibility that I can save. 
it opened up the possibility that I am not susceptible to pr the predatory financial products that are ha that happen in our community. Remember, we talked about that people preying mm -hmm. on whether that's same day that's payday loans, Renaissance. <laughs> like all of those kind of things because you don't have the money to you got guaranteed it's not based upon your hours it is based upon this is a salary I have benefits my kids can be under I can move like I can do more moves now I can probably save and pay or pay rent one time and you know do other financial matching programs or whatever to maybe you know move down the line Plus, you're in a union, so now the the protections that come with that, right? And so to me, it's like, okay, union protections go. are wild too. Union protections right. are wild. You're getting kicked out. They got they're getting you a lawyer. Oh, you got as long as you stay within the rules of what you're supposed to be doing. The union has you. I'm so pleased you are doing this. You have but no those idea are the kinds of things. But those are the kinds oh. of things in terms of thinking about policies and how our municipal agencies, our legislative, state legislators and other things are, are doing, right? Like how do we break yes. out and think about doing things in a, in a different way to kind of build communities up? And one of those things is it can't be like the home ownership programs and the things or whatever, those are great, believe me. I just read an article a couple of days ago where Bank of America is introducing this new home loan product where there's no down payment. You know, you won't have the extra points that you have to put down in order to get a, a, get a loan to help those that have the barrier where, you know, I've been paying my rent as high as it is. I can pay a mortgage, right? But I don't have $20,000, $30,000 to put down at one time to buy a home, right? Like looking at different ways. And our local and state governments need to think about that in terms of the services that we provide to people as well. So the unemployment office, the job development offices, they just can't be making people come to job readiness workshops that don't even apply to today's market. At all, at all. Right. And I'm Google oh, has you. these certificate programs and getting people immediately to the, like where that should be at every single library. Yes. Right. Google, Google, like what is the partnership that you're what is the partnership that we were, are doing with Google, particularly those states and local communities that are offer them a lot of tax exempt statuses and all this other kind of stuff. Right. So you, you're giving away stuff what we receiving, right? These nice. are the kinds of things and the kinds of things we ought to be looking at, which brought me to June. Remember, we had the conversation with Jackie Williams, who's a lobbyist, yeah. and we had a conversation about being a lobbyist for your community. And I wanted to revisit that conversation. We will after the break, because, you know, lobbyists obviously get a bad rap primarily because people lump all lobbyists together, just like they lump all, you know, things that have a bad connotation together. You know, there people think of lobbyists, they're thinking of like tobacco lobbyists and big oil lobbyists and things like that. But there are lobbyists for social service organizations to make sure that they get the funding they need or policies related to their particular area. There can be lobbyists for things that you like, things that are empowering for communities and for organizations. And you yourself, 
<laughs> can be a lobbyist for your community. And yep. we talked to Jackie about that and some best practices. And then I gave some best practices in terms of how you can advocate and lobby. Now, let me do the disclaimer because every like municipality and state does have rules about you know, lobbying and what constitutes as lobbying and the word itself often like, you know, makes people wary, (laughs) you know, of that. So we'll we'll get into all of that detail about that later. But I just, you know, want to do the disclaimer. If you're going to walk around and call yourself a lobbyist, make sure you know what the rules and everything are. So you are not caught up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When I'm talking about (laughs) lobbying, I'm talking about in the general sense, in terms of being an advocate for your community or for your interests. And even, I think we had a conversation about the, the museum was in an arts museum and she was talking about hiring a lobbyist in order for them to get their fair share of funding mm-hmm. for this. So the lobbyists can be used for a lot of different ways. And so we're going to talk about that a bit later as well, but you know, it's September. We getting ready to Thank go. You. It's the countdown too to, to the midterm election cycle, all of the primaries are just about wrapped up and we're like marching toward November, which is why you see like Biden doing the press conferences and the speeches and things because people are, you know, ramping up and getting ready for the midterms. But I don't want you to miss things happening locally for what is being covered nationally. Let me say that again. Don't (laughs) miss out on what is happening locally for what is being covered nationally, because all of us are listening to, you know, radio, MSNBC, CNN, and I see all of the cable network wars happening and all that kind of stuff. We have to talk about Dark Brandon. Dark Brandon. We're talking about Dark Brandon. How, what? There are other things too, Eljoy? Yes, there are things happening locally on your state level, on your local level. You know, some some governors are up, some, you know, state legislatures are still going to general election. All of that is happening. But there are also issues. There's still going to be a budget cycle for your city and for your state that you need to pay attention to. Your state governor may be doing a state of the state. Your mayor may do be doing a state of the city and all that kind of stuff. These are all things that if you are a, a civically active person, and I'm considering all of you who are listening to this as one, all of you who yes. listens to Sirius XM, Urban View in general, I know you are an active, engaged community. And those That's are things right. to pay gang, attention gang. to. See how their, you know, what their priorities are for the budgets, for the legislative cycle, what they're yes. focusing on. Because yes. You know, a lot of states and local communities had, you know, money because the federal government was giving them money during COVID-19. Well, what's happening now? Because people are starting to signal. And when I mean people, governors and mayors and others are starting to signal that, oh, we don't have the money for this. We don't have money. So paying attention to what they are putting forth for the next legislative cycle for the next budget cycle to see what the priorities are. I I can tell you some trends. People are starting talking about increasing police budgets because of, you know, is America loves increasing police budgets. (laughs) That's like the American pastime. The cops though. We're not paying the cops, but there's no, we buy, we buy in trash. 
We buy in trash. We give them money so they can so they can buy tanks and trash. Oh, the, the but um, robots that dance and have like bullets shooting out their shoulders. That's that's what we paying for. What's good? I mean, so those are the kind of advocacy things. So like even those of you who are pro cop, maybe there are a couple of you listening to the show. It's just like, yeah, you're getting budgets. But like, you know, these beat cops still getting like, you know, $17 an hour. Hmm. That's whack. That's not cool on anybody. This is the city of New York. You have to be on Section 8 or in NYCHA housing making that kind of money. And is that right? Does that yeah, make so, sense? I don't know. Those of you who are advocates for cops, I'm not. But I am an advocate for people, you know, getting fair wages and stuff like that. So um, in general, because I, I just think we have other alternatives like my earlier conversation, because what can deter crime? People having, you know, their basic needs met. Anyway. Yes, yes. <laughs> What? Yes. <laughs> what do you say? Are you sure? Are you sure? Is it really just that simple? I mean, I'm not saying that that would eliminate all crime because we're humans and even people with their basic needs met commit crimes, i.e. what we call white collar crimes from and wealthy people who love scammers do all the time. There's wealthy people who scam and commit crimes and murders and stuff all of the time. I don't know why we act as if it's only poor people and black people <laughs> that do these things. you see on TV. Anyway, but it does if particularly the percentage of crimes that are related to basic survival, yes. if we can reduce those things, you know, maybe we can focus on on other things if like we can we make sure that people's it. base. We have we have not tried it. We have not. Okay. And so you can't tell me that it doesn't work because we haven't tried it. So Oh, Don't. but you guys are going to try it with what you're doing in the centennial. Y'all are laying out the groundwork and I am like your best pupil. I do all of these things. I know who the decision makers are. I'm being a lobbyist for my community and I'm looking for the tweets in the social media, letting us know I'm doing it too. I'm ready. I'm looking at the secretary of state. I'm looking at the governor. I'm looking at the dog, the dog catcher. I'm looking at them all. Mm-hmm. All right. So when we come back, we're going to revisit the conversation with Jackie talking about being a lobbyist for a community. And I'm looking forward to this, you know, next season of Sunday Civics. We have some great conversations and some great lessons lined up for you. If you have suggestions, always please send them to me. And if you want to be at the front of the class, make sure, you know, you submit for that too. I want to hear what you are working on, what you and your community are focused on, engaging on your wins, your losses, your lessons learned. So we'll have an opportunity for you to join the front of the class too. So we'll be right back with more Sunday Civics after this break. Schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Sunday Civics here on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126. I am your host and civics teacher, L. Joy Williams. And I'm really excited about this next conversation about lobbying. I want to have a conversation with an actual lobbyist. And so joining me to have that conversation is Jackie Williams. No direct relation, but you know, we'll get into that later. She's the owner of 99 Solutions, a government relations and lobbying firm based here in New York City, specifically Brooklyn. And you know, she she's my sis. She's my girl. Hey, Jackie. Hey, Joy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for, you know, coming on the show. Well, thank you for letting me be a part of the 
classroom setting. Yeah. I want to talk a bit about what what lobbyists do. And so to better understand this, I went to the first person I think of when I think about lobbying. Jackie is like a big sis to me. She has helped me in a number of ways in my career, from advice to, you know, employment to everything. And then she has a particular take on lobbying. And so Jackie, explain to folks what a lobbyist actually does. Well, a lobbyist and it's a dirty little word to a lot of folks because a lot of people don't, are not aware of what it is. A lobbyist is someone that is hired by a t- particular entity. It can be a union. It could be a corporation. It could be a small business. It could be a bunch of youth that have an issue and they want to hire someone to give them strategy on how to communicate with legislators to get the legislator to do what they need them to do in order to change laws, make a law, an amend a law, create new policies and ideas that could be to, to the benefit of some, to the detriment of others, depends on the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that lobbyists, the word lobbyist is a dirty word. So why do lobbyists are, are perceived as sort of the boogeyman or the <laughs> the the problem. Well, it in... took me a long time to understand why it was so mysterious because most people don't discuss it, that there is someone, you know, being a puppet master somewhere, for lack of a better term. We as lobbyists are going to literally stand if I need to by the bathroom and wait for a legislator to come out, hopefully after they've washed their hands (laughs) (laughs) and lobby them about what I'm hired to discuss with them and get their attention. And a lot of people feel that lobbyists in America are the reasons why the system is the way it is and not to the benefit of a lot of people. Well, there are there are different types, right? So yes. if we're talking on the federal level, there are lobbyists who on the federal level who are lobbying Congress, who, yes, they come with a lot of money. They may be lobbyists for powerful corporations. You think about, you know, tobacco or gun lobby, right? You thinking mm-hmm. about the NRA and, you know, other. So anything that people associate with having this great influence and power it could be big business or, or, or things like that. Then they associate that individual lobbyist as being the devil or being, you know, part of the problem. But there are lobbyists on the other side. That work for good. Right. Like yourself. Right. That work for good. Well, some people, depending on what side of the issue that I'm on, may not feel that Mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing. It It comes with its ups and its downs, depending on who is being impacted by what I'm hired to do. Like, for example, a lot of the laws that say that affect the criminal justice system. You may have a group of lawyers out there that are not in sync with some of the views of the grassroots movement of changing the laws in the criminal justice system, and they be, might be against it because it affects how they eat mm. and make money. Mm-hmm. If some of these laws change that some uh, communities of color have issues with, 
a lot of criminal attorneys won't make money. So you're talking about things like uh, the the push and changing like bail reform. Right. Or, you know, just I can think about also decriminalizing so, marijuana. Wait, let's go to the bail reform. Okay. Do you know there's an association for bail bondsmen? Yeah. And I'm quite sure they wouldn't want the bail reform situation to take place. So, so in that instance... They would then hire, hire a lobbyist to try to beat back. Right, to either stop the advocacy that's going on to change the law for bail reform. Okay, so let's continue with this bail reform as an example, right? right. So the Bail Bondsmen's Association decide, okay, we're going to come together. We're going to hire a lobbyist to push back on this because this essentially puts us out of business or at least reduces how much money we make. Right? Exactly. And so they, they come to, an, an you know, a lobbyist like yourself or others and, you know, em, employ you in, and say, help us beat this back. Right. And in doing that, that's when a lobbyist says, OK, let me go look at the city council list here in New York. It's called the city council. Mm -hmm. In other places in the country, the local government system is set up a little differently. But. That's when they say, let's go look at the city council list and see who's the chair of the criminal justice commu committee that might hear the subject matter on this issue. And then they would give them the strategy to meet with everyone on that committee to push the agenda for criminal justice reform or the Bell Bondsman Association would speak to all of those people on that committee to say, stop the reform. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then here's where the nuance comes in. Unfortunately, our government system and a lot of our legislators play to individuals who may be contributing to their campaigns. Right. So one of the things that lobbyists may do is in addition to doing those meetings. Right. So they say you go meet with the chair, you know, make your case. This is the strategy, you, make, you, you know, you have. Lobbyists may also say. Also, donate money or go to the fundraiser of that. Uh, no, in today's climate, I would hope that a lobbyist would recommend that. <laughs> I would hope that the lobbyist that's hired already has those pre-existing relationships mm -hmm. where that donation at current is not necessary. Right, right. Because it would technically be inappropriate to donate money at the same time that you are advocating or lobbying for or against the issue. But we see stories all the time that happens. But to your point that the part, you know, part of the lobbyist job is to have these pre-existing relationships with folks. Right. So and that's part of the what lobbyists do. They you know, people come to you and say, well, I know this lobbyist deals a lot with big business or on tax issues or things. So there may be lobbyists that specialize in a particular issue. That is correct. And one of the things about hiring a lobbyist or being an advocate or if you're interested in this particular industry, you must know subject matter. Mm. So it's, it's just not, not ju just about knowing someone. You know, I know the guy that works at my corner store, but he's not going to give me a discount. <laughs> I see, I see. You know, and so it's, you know, it's bad information for people to think in order to be effective as a lobbyist, whether you're for or against the subject matter, 
is that just because you know someone. And I think that's the mistake people make. Mm. So it's important to also know the subject matter. That is correct. And then to also be honest with your client as well, because you could say to your client, like, listen, the public will on this is not going to move it a certain way. This is your best option in this. That is correct. Or if you are a good lobbyist, you will tell your client that, A, this elected official might be the chair of this committee, but their history is to speak against what you want. And the best we may be able to do is educate him or she, mm-hmm. him or her, on the subject matter. Yeah, yeah. So th- it's not a guarantee. No- nothing is a guarantee. It is illegal to guarantee anything as a lobbyist. Mm. You mm. cannot do that. Well, you know, people watch TV, right? They watch things like Scandal or House of Cards. And, mm-hmm. you know, they have this, you know, I think it perpetuates this boogeyman persona of what lobbyists do. Well, yes and no. I find that because I am a woman of color and there are very few people of color who are lobbyists, I find that my Caucasian counterpart can do things that I necessarily would not be able to do. Explain that. So I find, first of all, in the state of New York, there are about 12,000 registered lobbyists because by law you have to register. It has to be a public record that you have a contract with someone and you are listed in a government system. And here in New York it's called J-COPE. We as the lobbyists, we we say J Cope, J joke, but it's called <laughs> J Cope. And they're a system to say we have to do public disclosure on who we're representing, who are we lobbying, because they're trying to keep everybody honest. Right. And so that you have to have full disclosure. With that being said, it's about twelve thousand registered lobbyists in the state of New York. Of the twelve thousand, it's about only seventeen of color. Wow. In New York. Of the 17 of color, there are only, I think, seven of us that own. And that's a sad state of affairs because if you look at the impact of that, if there are only 17 of color in the industry. And only seven own. Seven own. And they are more than 10,000 lobbyists representing big business, little business, unions, non-unions, criminal justice issues, social justice issues, then whose perspective can the client that's hiring other lobbyists really get the perspective of what's going on within the current day legislative bodies? Mm. Because most of the legislative bodies, especially in urban markets, where most of the challenges are faced, are legislators of color. Right. So... My white counterpart or Caucasian counterpart, when we are lobbying, he or she may be able to have a different relationship and do things differently because our black and brown legislators treat them different. Mm. Mm. You know, I don't. I hate to say this. Sometimes I wonder whether they come from the school of thought they believe white ice is colder. And we, as lobbyists of color, we have to cross our T's and dot our I's on a whole nother level. Right, right. So what is the, what would you say is the extra burden a lobbyist of color has in doing this work? 
on a in representing a client we also have to be clear that just because a legislator is of color doesn't mean he's going he or she is going to do what we want them to do mm-hmm. also in providing them with advice and counsel they need to know the public component of that d- discussion if you have to reach out to communities that just because the community is of color doesn't mean that we can get them to agree with us either. We might be able to communicate on a different level, but just because they look like us physically, you know, on the exterior front, doesn't necessarily they're going to just believe and do what we say. Oh, so you can't just go wrangle your Negroes because that's what... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I've tried to tell a few clients, you know, hiring me as your lobbyist does not get blackface. they like, Jackie, what does blackface mean? I just can't stand there because it's coming out my mouth and I'm of color and I look like them and tell them X and I prove it and lobby them the same way I would get approvals, uh, same way that I would to non-people of color. Right. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. And some people think, I mean, that's across the board, though, because people often think that you can just, you know, use a consultant, a lobbyist, or even just a regular employee, go speak to, you know, these people, and then all of a sudden they understand. Not realizing, again, we say this on the show, you know, folks aren't monolithic, right? That's correct. You know, and there's different class issues, there's different community issues that you have to take into account. Exactly. And it's unfortunate that that is applicable to our culture that they actually think that we can wave a magic wand and cultures that are not like ours, they don't apply that theory to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's very interesting. So I do a lot of pushback and teaching my clients that's not what we're going to do today (laughs) (laughs) or tomorrow. (laughs) So now what, you know, uh, for communities and organizations, small groups that can't afford, because, you know, sometimes lobbyists are expensive. Yeah, yeah, they can be. Right. So it, for those who can't afford, let's say, a community that's beating back, you know, big business and they want to be, you know, advocate on the same level. What are some principles, some lobbying principles that you would give an individual, a small group of young people or a community that they could use because they may not have enough money to sort of hire a lobbyist to be in the room? Well, the first thing is while you're trying to push the agenda of what you want to an elected official, Don't assume that you need to write a check for them to hear you. You can use other tactics, all right? Also, when you go, make sure you document. You must have paper trail to provide substance to what you're saying. Legislators hear a thousand and one things all day long. And I know you like to believe that you're the only one speaking to them and the only one asking them for something, but that's the wrong attitude to have. When you same way someone would approach you and asking you for something and you you want them to respect you, your time, that's the same thing needs to be done for your legislator. Although your legislator works for you, you need to take in consideration there are more subject matters that they're working on. Also, you can need to document what's the advantages or disadvantage of supporting 
or being against whatever your issue is. Be able to articulate it. Be clear. Be specific about what you want from the legislator. Like, for example, if there's a piece of legislation that you support and a legislator doesn't, that's when you say, I I need you to support legislation X, Y, and Z, and this is why. And this is what you will impact if you don't. This is how it hurts the area that you say you care about and represent. And you have to be clear, be specific, because most elected officials don't know every subject matter. Most of them know one or two subject matters. The rest of it, they do fluff because they can't know. No one person knows everything. So you have to teach and you have to educate them on your issue and be able to advocate towards them at the same time. And so you can't get frustrated and you can't stop. The The one thing about lobbyists that we constantly have to do is follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. If you don't follow up, you're going to get the results of not following up, which is nothing. Mm. You know, it's like if you tie a shoe and you don't, you don't lace it all the way up, the, tie, the bow is going to come loose. So you must make sure it's, it's all the way laced up and that the bow is tied appropriately. And you must follow up. You have to follow up and be relentless because they're busy. Sometimes you're going to call their office. The voicemail is going to come on. Leave a full-fledged message. Email them and constantly email them. If you have to go stand in front of the office because they got to go in and out of it, (laughs) you wait for them. Because that's what lobbyists do. That's what lobbyists do. That's where you stand in the lobby. So you wait for them. Another way to be relentless is to get the elected official schedule for the day or media schedule for the day and find out where they're going to be. Stand out there instead of throwing rocks and protesting. Educate, educate, follow up, follow up. Say your name a thousand times. Call and call until they respond. Jackie, thank you so very much for coming to join and educating our audience about this process. We definitely have an engaged audience who take all of the tips that we give them and try to apply them. So I'm looking forward to seeing how our audience uses these tips as they go and engage with their elected officials. And we'll certainly have you back again to talk about more issues. I appreciate the opportunity. And my last word to you is look at the career opportunities and being a lobbyist. Don't be afraid. All right. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with more of Sunday Civics here on Sirius XM Urban View, Channel 126. How can it be that you love the most unlovable part of me? Of me. How could you see your life was the only gift I Welcome back to Sunday Civics, the show for the civically engaged. Oh, June and Marie. That was great, right? I I, you know, Jackie. Amazing. Yeah, I Jackie has been instrumental throughout my career here in New York as a consultant, just as a, you know, the general big sister. We are not related, mm-hmm. even though we have the same last name. But she's my girl. You know, yeah. if I'm if I'm in a foxhole. She coming get you? Is she coming? All right now. You know. Hey, everybody needs some folks like that on the Yes. Mm. I feel like I 
have a crew. So Jackie at the end gave some of her tips on if you are trying to get an issue, you're fighting back big business. Maybe after listening to this episode and listening to the beginning conversation, you want to go to your city council, go to the district attorney or go to the state and advocate on school funding or try to, you know, put some sunshine on these deals that DAs have done with private debt collectors. And so that you may be doing some lobbying. Actually, in a couple of weeks, I'm taking my Brooklyn NAACP folks. We're going up to Albany, which is our capital. Um, and right. we'll be lobbying our legislators on a social justice agenda under uh, NAACP. And then we're also doing it on the city level. We just sent a letter off to the mayor All right. today. Because in April, we're going to go to City Hall and we want to meet with agencies. We're going to meet with the controller and everybody um, to advance on those issues as well. So I have a few tips for you on lobbying. And actually, if you go to the website, if you're listening now, you'll you know hear them. But if you go to the website, I'll have a nice little download for you on my top tips for organizing your own lobby day. Maybe you and your block association, maybe your fraternity, sorority. We're just a neighborhood group or you just, you know, your church or somebody and we're going to go advocate and talk about issues that matter to us. So here's tip number one. You ready? Mm -hmm. Be a constituent. What do you mean by that? (laughs) You know, (laughs) because people call, you know, I, I remember being a staffer. And, you know, people, and particularly we're in this age of social media, when you see news stories, Larie, sometimes it'll be like, in Utah, they're getting ready to pass a bill in the state legislature on this issue. And then you have all of these people from, like, California calling Utah. They don't care. Mm-hmm. No. They do not, not care. You are not a constituent here. Mm. I, I don't represent you. You have, you know, you can't vote, <laughs> you know, for right. me. There's no documentation, whatever. So you want to make sure that the people that you are speaking with are the people who represent you. And that's including from the top down. So yes, you're, you know, your governor, you are a constituent. If you're talking to the governor or to the mayor, you know, or to the police department or the district attorney. But if you're calling the state legislature or your council, make sure that they're your representatives because that's also where you have power, right? If they hear and they see that, okay, I have all of these constituents from my district who have called my office regarding this issue, you know, if they're a good legislator and their staff is good, they're going to be, you know, they're, they're perking up, they're looking, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's the, my number one tip is to, you know, don't, if you live in California, be calling Utah state legislature. Why? They're not going to. You can call your cousins and your friends in Utah and tell them to call their state legislature. Don't call state legislature. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Just be, be a constituent. Okay. So the second tip is do the research. You heard Jackie talk about that, mm-hmm. right? You know, know the information about the issue that you're advocating for. Is the legislator signed on to the bill? Are they a co-sponsor? Are, you know, did they ask questions during a hearing? Those kinds of information. Know what the bill or what the issue says and doesn't say. There have been plenty of times where, I, you know, as a staffer, people have come to me and I, and I engage with them, Larie, and ask them the question, you know, well, you know, well, in the bill, doesn't it say that it covers, you know, X, Y, and Z? And they say, oh. Oh. <laughs> Does it? 
we'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so know the the issue and then also know where your legislator is on the issue, right? All of it is public record, particularly if they've given, if they've had hearings. Most of the legislatures and the councils, you can watch, you know, you can go back and look at hearings and stuff on their website because everybody's trying to have a website and a Snapchat and an Instagram. And <laughs> <laughs> they do press releases. So you can go and look and see has your legislator issued a press release on the issue and what they say and what they believe on it. And it could be they're on your side. They just have a particular problem with one aspect of the bill, you know? So, you know, know and do the research and know the information because to Jackie's point, legislators don't know everything. And so sometimes, and this goes to one of my next points, is sometimes you're going to serve as the resource. If you have it together, of course. Right, because for some legislators, I don't know much about this issue. You're coming to lobby on it, so tell me what. And then they see that there is some groundswell from their constituency. They will go, then go based upon that. And I tell particularly those of you who are with organizations, nonprofit organizations, you can end up being a resource to that legislator on that issue. So if you're knowledgeable, you do the research, you can do that. Be on time. But know that the representative may not. Oh, that that makes sense. So you want to be on time, but know that particularly if you're going during a legislative session, sometimes they may be coming out of a hearing, going into a hearing, and, you know, they may be running late, which brings me to my next point that it's okay to meet with staff. Yes, right. yes. They can be more effective sometimes than that. Sometimes. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, more often than not, you know, if you're meeting with the chief of staff or you're working on an issue and meeting with the legislative director, that's what you needed. Yeah. Mm. Because they're yeah. the one drafting the legislation for the, the person. They're the one that's going to be in the meetings with the legislator, you know, passing, you know, notes to the person and letting them know on the issue. And quite often, sometimes the legislative director is the expert on these issues. Mm. Right. Whereas the legislator is, you know, is then relying on them. Right. So they can mm. have they know the bill in and out. They know the issue in and out, particularly if the legislator has co-sponsored the bill or signed on to the bill. So they can have the conversation with you. And so I know people like meeting directly with the member and that's fine. And that's great. You want to get that FaceTime when you can. But if you can meet with the staff, the chief of staff or the legislative director or whoever is handling whatever issue you're you want addressed, that's equally as important. Right. Mm -hmm. The other thing that Jackie said, these last two was make a direct ask. So just don't, I mean, if you yes, I'm going there to educate, but you this is transactional people. So I can't go in and be like, well, you know, do you think that maybe on Tuesday you could probably possibly think about maybe going over there? and then No, no. I have, no. To real, I have to be real direct. Like we need a traffic light on the corner of 135th and Lennox. By the summer. Oh, we got to get a deadline. <laughs> oh, look, And look. by the start of summer because our kids are going to be playing in the street during the summertime. So right. we can't have it at the end of summer before. Or by the can, end of June. Right. Or can we count on your vote for this budget item to increase you know, the education budget for District 9 services. Mm -hmm. Right. Can we count on your, you know, so giving them a, you know, direct ask and ask them from there. And then the last one, like Jackie said, follow up. 
So after you did the meeting, send a thank you. Thank you for meeting with us, even if it was the staff. Thank you for allowing your staff to meet with us and send a note to the staff member. Thank you for following up to see have you made a decision whether or not you'll be supporting bill number blah, blah, blah in the affirmative. You know, and if they had questions, mm-hmm. if they, they may have asked you, well, would you accept this compromise or things like that? Follow up. When's the next hearing? Was it presented? Anything like that. So you need to follow up. You need to basically stalk them. Aren't there laws? What friendly about stalking? Friendly, yeah, like <laughs> friendly stalking. Yeah, Very like stalking. basically, Jackie said it. She was like, "That you say your name all the time. If they're gonna hold a Black History Month event, you are gonna be at the Black History Month event." And it was like, "Oh, I was just, mm-hmm. I thought maybe you would be announcing here at the Black History event whether or not you were supportive of increasing." And don't do that with the rah rah. <laughs> Don't right, do thought, any of that with the rah rah. Right, Don't go thought, rolling up to the oh, event and throwing stones. Oh, you, I know you had, you know, a constituent day, you know, in front of your office. So I thought I would show up because maybe you would, you know, tell constituents while you were here that you were supporting, you know, our bill to increase funding for, you know, asthma research here in the district. Wonderful. But do it the way else. And then you can said. be like, oh, and who are all these other people? Yes, this is a busload of folks that also care about this bill that I brought with me because we are all here to lobby you. And you mm-hmm. can stand like cross-armed and mean mug, but don't bring Dorara. <laughs> or you could cross-arm and say Wakanda forever. Oh my just, goodness. You know. Right over left. Too. Right over left. Oh <laughs> my <laughs> gosh. Oh my gosh. All right. Remember, you can get all of this information on our website at sundaycivics.org and look at the show notes. We spend time writing those. So you can find all of the detailed information about our guest, about the stories we discuss, and also tips and resources that you should use. And thanks to all of you for making it to class this Sunday. We'll be back next Sunday with more of Sunday Civics, those civics lessons you need to take civic action. Have a great one. It's cool.